Welcome to the Side Hustle to Small Business podcast powered by Hiscox. I'm your host, Sanjay Parekh. Throughout my career, I've had side hustles, some of which have turned into real businesses. But first and foremost, I'm a serial technology entrepreneur. In the creator space, we hear plenty of advice on how to hustle harder and why you can sleep when you're dead. On this show, we ask new questions in hopes of getting new answers. Questions like, how can small businesses work smarter? How do you achieve balance between work and family? How can we redefine success in our businesses so that we don't burn out after year three? Every week, I sit down with business founders at various stages of their side hustle to small business journey. These entrepreneurs are pushing the envelope while keeping their values. Keep listening for conversation, context, and camaraderie. Rita Ernst is an expert in organizational psychology. She started her career working as a human resources consultant in Fortune 200 companies, where she mastered skills like strategic planning, executive coaching, and change management tools. In 2005, Rita left corporate life and established her independent consulting and coaching practice, Ignite Your Extraordinary. She works with nonprofits, solopreneurs, startups, and small businesses to ignite positivity at work. Last year, she wrote the book, Show Up Positive. Here today to share more about her book, her business story, and hopefully some tips to our listeners on how to increase their positivity at work is Rita Ernst. Rita, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sanjay. I'm so happy to be with you today. So I'm excited to have you on because I'm a huge fan of organizational culture and dealing with these things and and making organizations work really, really well. But before we get into that, why don't you give us a 30-second snapshot on your background, a little bit more than what I just said now, and and tell us like how you got to where you are now. So... I'm an organizational psychologist, which means I'm just a big geek about how people come together in the workplace to make stuff happen. (laughs) And hopefully it's good stuff that you can earn a profit from. And um, so that's what I care deeply about. And so that has been my entire career. And every time I try to step away from it, I just come back to it again because that's my love and my passion. So um, is this the first time you did? something entrepreneurial or have you done entrepreneurial things in the past? No, you know, when I came out of graduate school, uh, my dad, you know, he did the basic dad conversation, like find a company that's got good benefits and a good retirement plan. And they'll take care of you for the rest of your life because I'm that old that that <laughs> promise was still sort of lingering out there at the time. And so I really thought my life was going to be climbing the corporate ladder and, you know, being the, the, the chief people officer at a company someday. That's what I thought I was doing when I started. Yeah. So um, nothing from when you were a kid, like you did anything to hustle and make money or anything else like that? Oh, I did not do any of the traditional jobs really outside of babysitting. When I was a kid, I I, I did do babysitting to earn money. But actually my first uh, work job that was, you know, for somebody was I, I sold Avon as a teenager. So I went door to door in my neighborhood with the little Avon book and all of those things. And, um, that's, that's about as like entrepreneurial as, 
as it gets when you think about multi-level marketing as a place <laughs> to start. And I, I'll tell you, like the door-to-door sales, I did door-to-door sales too when I was a kid. Um, it is probably one of the hardest things and it teaches you so much about dealing with people. Um, and it's it's a shame that door-to-door sales isn't a thing, I guess, from that perspective, but I kind of appreciate people not knocking on my door either and bothering me. So I don't know how I feel about it now. <laughs> Now at this point. Well, you know, what was so amazing about Avon as a company is that um, women knew that brand and knew those products. So it was just a matter of finding somebody on the street that wanted some skin so soft or a new lip color or whatever it might be. What I remember most is the conversations. I mean, I'm just a young mm-hmm. teen girl and I'm sitting in a house with with a woman who's 20 years or more my senior, but really feeling this moment of connection of just being in conversation with that person and, and talking about their life and their product and all of those things. So I remember my time going door to door. I don't remember the rejections at all. (laughs) I remember those moments of connection. Yeah. I, I remember the time that I rang the doorbell and I woke up the baby and the, the mom was very upset uh, and I was trying to sell uh, custom and printed holiday cards. Needless to say, I don't think I made that sale. I don't really remember the, the end the of that news, one. I was probably in school when the baby was napping. So I was I was knocking doors, you know, after dinner. So I was probably in a safer zone. <laughs> this, well, this was during the summertime. So right in summertime, it's like, man, I got all day. So Go out and perhaps out and those per, perhaps some of my favorite customers had been hitting the wine bottle before I showed up too. You know, but <laughs> I think that was kind of prevalent in those days. I, I think I think you picked the right time of day uh, compared to me, right? Like, yeah, you should probably hit them after dinner so they're a little looser and and you know a little bit freer with the with the cash. I, I, now, in retrospect, I I really messed <laughs> up. I I could have multiplied sales if I'd timed that right, man frustrating. <laughs> so, okay. So when you, uh, when you decided, so you'd been doing corporate, so you'd been doing HR, uh, managing people, what was it that, uh, made you decide like, Hey, you know what, this is no longer for me. I want to do my own thing. What was it that, that flipped for you? Um, my husband, I, I mean, just honest to God, there was, there were two environmental factors. I think I would never have made a change. One was I was in a very toxic, I was in a company, in a part of the company that had a very toxic culture. Mm. And um, I found myself um, trying to be this force of change to some of those toxic things. Um, But it was very grating on me. It wasn't what I really wanted um, to be doing. My daughter, when we... When I started with that company, my daughter was six months old. Um, we we had a difficulty conceiving. So, and we had been together seven years before we had her. So we really wanted to be parents. <laughs> and so I was very resentful for this, um, always wanting to encroach on my family time. I wanted to work, but I wanted time at home with my daughter and to do the yep. things. And and then there was a lot of other internal toxic stuff in that in in that leadership team that under which my position fell. And then the second thing was my husband was the stay-at-home parent. So when my daughter was 3, 
he basically did the tag me out. Come on, tag me out. It's my turn. I want the ring. Tag me out. You know, it's like <laughs> he was done. He was done being Mr. Stay at home dad. He's like, I can't go to some woman's house in the middle of the day for a play date. Like that's weird to be in some other guy's home when he's not there like, <laughs> you know when it gets cold and you can't do the play date on the playground anymore and so yeah. so he was ready to go back into the workforce and he was he basically said look you're miserable you're not getting anything you need it's a sabbatical like in a year and a half she's going to be in kindergarten you're just taking an extended sabbatical but i will tell you sanjay i grieved I grieved letting go of, of who I was as a professional. I never wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. That was never in my vision of myself. I wanted to have kids, but be a stay-at-home mom was not. And so it was a difficult transition in that, but he was absolutely right. He was absolutely right that I needed to stop sacrificing who I wanted to be just to be in that job and that role. And so he was really the thing that pushed me out. And as soon as I left, people started reaching out to me. All my contacts are like, hey, I know this small business that needs help with, hey, could you consult with this nonprofit that I am on the board of they're struggling with? So people just started reaching out to me. So I didn't intend to start a business. I called myself a freelance consultant for the first few years and I was just saying yes to work that was falling into my lap that my network was bringing to me. Yeah. How long, um, when you realized that environment was toxic, how long was it before you, you escaped that and left? Um, I was there. I, yeah, I was there three years cause she was about six months old when I got there and she was about three and a half when I left. I, I, when I, as soon as I left, I started planning her fourth birthday party. That's all I know, <laughs> which is something I never really had a lot of time to do. All of a sudden I had right. all this time to yeah. like make invitations and dream nice. up what this party was going to be like, all those things. Yeah. Did you feel like when you were there that, um, your staying there was going to help change the culture and organization you were, you were trying to make it less, less toxic? And, and did you have any success at all? Or was it just overwhelming? Um, I did everything that I thought that I could do. I think the biggest impact that I had was I made my coworkers aware that it did not have to be like this, that this was not normal or good, that we, we shouldn't be saying yes to this behavior. And, and, and basically at the very top of the, of the part of the organization that we were in on the executive leadership team above us, they were all fighting and throwing each other under the bus and it was chaos. So there's a certain amount that we can't do. Right. Um, but there was also, um, there was a lot of, messaging in the culture about you need to look a certain way and behave a certain way and treat the people in the executive level in a special way, a lot of classism. And um, I was having a really hard time reconciling those classism messages with an idea that we were embracing diversity. 
in the workplace. And so there was like some values, things like that, that were just really not, I, um, I, I was, I, I, I did all that I could do. Um, I might've eventually been able to move the needle. I don't know. Eventually all those people cash, the cash value of their stock options got to be so much that they retired and left (laughs) and new people, you know, and I understand that, that that was a the biggest shift that really happened but um yeah but yeah i don't know that i could have really changed it but i also knew that i wasn't going to be silent what i knew was i couldn't be silent yeah yeah and i think that's um you look at a lot of organizations that are dysfunctional like this um i mean it all starts at the top uh and you know if if it's not good at the top it's going to kind of rot its way through all the way down and it's really really hard to shift um, and I've often said too, is like organizations, they're really hard to change this culture once it gets rooted um, into these places. The, the first handful of hires that you do in a new company, they really kind of set the tone and, and the culture for this, the organization. And after that, it's really, really hard to change it. Is that something that you find as well? Or are there things that you can do to to change an organization once, you know, something like this is really kind of rooted in the in the space? My whole practice, what's so funny about this is is what I care and I'm so passionate about is organization culture and creating workplaces where people really are able to be them be- their best selves, to have well-being at work, because we know the data is there. It's scientifically proven that when you take care of your people and your people experience internal well-being, your company benefits from that and you have profitable well-being. I mean, there's just so much research. I'm, I'm, I'm writing a chapter for a, a compilation book I signed on to do called Culture Impact. And this is what my chapter is about. I mean, there's just, you, you can't deny the science that, that tells us this. And yet, in many ways, we get stuck in the same conversation. I think that, um, you know, there's, the way I talk about it, Sanjay, is there's big C company culture, which when you're in a publicly traded company, um, it's different. My favorite is to work with independent business owners. Like I would have loved uh-huh. to work with your startup when you guys were, you know, rocking and rolling. I like independent because the business owner has a different level of connection that is more than monetary. Right. The dilemma is that the the in system in which publicly traded companies operate create the environment and reinforce this whole uh, topsy turviness of profit yeah. over people. Right. And it's not because they're bad people at the top of that organization. It's the system in which they operate. So I care less about trying to fix that and more about it, if I'm in a corporation down in the guts of the day-to-day. And that's what I call small C, your team. It doesn't matter. I mean, as dysfunctional as my organization was within that company, our team was a highly functioning, highly effective group. We chose to create our own small C culture within which we operated Mm. so that we could be our best we were always environmentally bumping up against the dysfunction above us. Right. But we could also find some satisfaction and some commitment and some ability to really find fulfillment yeah. when just focusing in our team. So you can start with self. How, what am I doing for myself? 
and expand to team and from team to unit and from unit on, right? You can, you can try to keep growing the ripples. And, you know, those ripples eventually can become big waves that can take down in entire, you know, cliffs <laughs> of sand. So it's possible. And, but you, you know, you start with what you can control and wherever you are in the organization. And sometimes the right answer is you have to walk away. Um, sometimes you can be the agent of change that makes, makes it all come together. Support for this podcast comes from Hiscox, committed to helping small businesses protect their dreams since 1901. Quotes and information on customized insurance for specific risks are available at Hiscox.com. Hiscox, the business insurance experts. So I want to go back to something you said a little bit ago. Um, You were talking about stepping out um, and then that loss of identity and and thinking about things like that um, as you were leaving your corporate job and, and doing your own thing. Was there anything else that concerned you about making this move? Things that worried you or um, that you were like, I, I just don't know how this is going to work. Were there things like that beyond that, that loss of identity? I had moved to a new city to work for this company. And so I didn't have, everybody I knew was a part of that company. Like I, I didn't have a lot of good community around me. One of the key things that I tell business owners today um, or people who are thinking about leaving to start up a business or an entrepreneur is you got to work your network. Like make sure that you are taking, there's so much value. And so if you're even thinking right now, if you're listening and you're thinking about, I want to own my own business someday, start building the network today that your future self will thank you for. You really got it. And I didn't understand that. I thought my trajectory was corporate. And so I was focused corporately versus focused community. And I knew that I was, I had really put myself at a deficit because of that. I, you know, I think that's, it's a, it's an important point that you touch on. And I think that's one of the ones that we don't necessarily talk about as much. I mean, we, we talk about, Hey, you got to work your network and whatever, but I think before you work your network, you've got to build your network. Um, and people don't buy from people that they don't know about. Like just because you started a company, nobody knows you exist. They don't know to come and buy from you right? yes. or buy your services. So you've got to have those, those people, those cheerleaders that, that help support you. And, and I think as you well know, those early days are hard. Um, and having people that will cheer you on kind of helps you keep going because I'm assuming you started when you stepped out to do this yourself, you were freelance, you were calling yourself, you were by yourself, right? There was nobody else that was on the, on the team. It was a team of one, right? Correct. Correct. So how did, how did you, so you had your husband there as a cheerleader. How did you keep yourself going? Um, well, like I said, I had, I, I did from my corporate life. I had these connections of people who knew me, right. who knew my work, that kept making introductions. Hey, can you help this person? Can you help that person? Can you do this? So work was sort of falling in my lap. And let me be honest, I, I didn't want to just be a full-time mom. I intellectually needed the stimulation and I loved my work. But if you imagine the scales of justice, that visual of the scales of justice, I was allowing the scale to tip toward family 
versus work. So up to that point, the, it had been the inverse. Work was really the weight in, in my life and family was, was not. So I completely shifted that. So having one client at a time was perfectly good to me. I didn't need, I wasn't, it wasn't about how much money I needed to make. I, I really took that off the table. It was about what work do I want to do and what work is speaking to me and where can I contribute and add value? So legacy to me has never been money-based. Legacy has always been impact-based, making a difference in people's lives. And so I had this freedom to really be able to, um, I worked because I wanted to, not because I had to, to, to put that time and energy where I felt like I, I could do stuff that excited me. And um, I, I, I didn't have any economic goals. I really didn't have any economic goals. It it was uh, very nice to selfishly just focus on those those things. And what I say now is, as my kids grew and they had more independence, and I had more time, then I I wanted to shift the balance so that work has slowly become. So now I work. I still don't work full time like as in a 40 hour work week, because I'm still taxiing my younger daughter around and doing school <laughs> drop off. And, and those are, that's a job. I mean, yeah, absolutely. That is, that is still a significant job for me, but I do have, you know, this nice chunk of 30 some hours a week that I can give into my work. And so I now um, have truly like maybe in the last seven years, really got serious about building a business and having real economic goals and, and things like that, that I didn't, I, I didn't yeah. have when I first started out, but and it was, so it was I, lovely to have that freedom of not having yeah. to replace the income that I left. Yeah. So how are you balancing, um, kind of the time as well as the stress of these two kind of competing goals, family versus work? Um, is there, like, hey, you know that pickup drop-offs happen at this time. And so then, you know, in between there's when you do all the other stuff. Like, how, how are you managing these two things? Well, especially when my kids were younger, when I signed on a client, um, and typically I, I only work with the president or the owner as my primary client. I work all through the organization. That's part of the condition. If you bring me in, you've got to give me access so that we can mm -hmm. really do the full assessment and so that we can do work that's really going to have a sustainable impact. Um, but I, what I would tell um, my leaders is I don't charge as much as some of these other firms do. And the reason is that I have these conditions. So there are certain days I can't meet. There are certain times of like I have limited hours. You're going to get right. the best of me within these working conditions that I can give you. But I yeah. have some absolute no's. And so if that's not going to work for you, I'm not the right person. Right. And you know what? It was never a problem. Mm. It, it was never a problem. But I continued to, to keep my rate, you know, slightly below market value, knowing that, um, that I was putting some conditions in there. And then at first I just took one client at a time and then I figured you know, as my kids grew, oh, now I can manage two clients. Now I can manage three clients. Right. 
I mean, some of these these conditions that you're putting in place too, though, um, probably also help you weed out the clients that you don't want, right? Yes, there's nothing worse. You learn. I learned that early. I learned that early. I um, said yes to somebody that in my gut I really knew was not the right client. But uh-huh. I said yes, thinking, well, you know, it's 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 work, it's money, it's this and that. And what what I say now, Sanjay is, and you'll appreciate this as somebody who is is in the, in your biz. I, when you put the word extraordinary in the name of your business, you can't have clients who write reviews that are like, oh, you know, it was <laughs> interesting. She was nice. I mean, the work was okay, right? I mean. The, that's totally off brand. Like I need people that are out there going, Oh my God, you've got to work with her. Like it's incredible what she brings. Right. (laughs) So, so yeah, I had a few of those where I didn't say, I didn't listen to my inner voice telling me, no, this isn't the right thing. And I've learned, I don't chase business. You know, there's all these, there's all these coaches out there who will tell you, you know, oh, you got to have a funnel and you got to do so many follow-ups and you got to, you know, and you're chasing, chasing, chasing business. I stopped chasing because I learned when you chase, you don't get the right client. You know, there's a certain number of touches that you need to have. But if you're not like, oh my God, yes, then it's not the right time. You know, as a coach and as a consultant, I don't, I'm not McKinsey and company. I don't have this whole treasure trove of MBA graduates with all these analytical skills that are going to go out there like the minions and do all this analysis and come back and say, all right, here are the top five things that everybody in your category is doing. And let's figure out how to make those work in your business. I'm, I, so what my business model is as, as an organization expert beyond just culture I look at strategy and structure alignment and processes and, mm-hmm. you know, especially for smaller companies, it's as, as you're growing, how do you build this internal operation, the back of the house to support the growth that you're in? So many times business leaders chase, they chase, chase, chase this growth, and they're not doing any of the work to manage it once they get it. And so they start burning their team out. Right. So I'm the solution to that. I'm the person that can come in and say, okay, let me help you understand where you are and how to build what is missing in your structure and operations so that you're not requiring so much intensity from your team to make this work happen. Let's get it to a sustainable place. And so um, because that is the work that I'm doing, it's not because I know your business. I can't know every business. People ask me all the time, well, what kind of business? I work with every, I've worked with over 14 industries. I can work with any industry because I believe your success is based on your knowing of your business. You just get to a place where your mind is so locked up by everything that's competing for attention that Mm -hmm. you can't discover those things that you really know deep and you can't find the confidence in that decision. I just create the space and help pull that out. Now I add in a little bit of my own expertise around how you structure jobs that people want to do, how you create communication flow, all of those things. But so much of what I do is really just 
asking a better question and a better question and a better question so that the answers are bubbling up from the people inside of your organization. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to step into uh, one thing that you talked about there about um, chasing deals and, and the funnel and all of those things. Do you use any kind of systems or technology or apps that help you manage kind of your, your deal flow, your client sign up, because it, it can be a lot. And then, you know, you can forget about who is at what stage and are they going to sign or whatever. So how, how do you manage that process for yourself? My shout out goes to HoneyBook. Um, if you want to know more about HoneyBook, hit me up. I'll, I'll hook you up um, with a good deal for HoneyBook. HoneyBook became my go-to a few years ago, and it manages all of that. It is a CRM, project management system, invoicing system, all in one, and it has automation. So when you click the link on my website and say, hey, Rita, I want to know about your services, it puts you into an automated system where nice. it welcomes you it sends you a brochure you can it's an active link brochure so you can tell me what your responding in interests are and mm -hmm. then that will tell me that preps me so i can have a whole data gathering session with a potential client um that is robust before i get on the first call with them and i didn't have to do anything i didn't have to yeah. do it just all automatically happens and then yeah. in the sunset sequence you have the same thing it will automatically send the request for a testimonial um you nice. know all of those kinds of of processes so automating processes are i, I mean i've taught so many in my business and it, it finally got to the place where and once I started saying, okay, now I can handle eight, nine clients. Now I can't keep track of all these things. I need right. an automation and, and HoneyBook is the right solution for me. Yeah. So when you started, you didn't do any of this stuff. You, it took a while for you to grow to the point where you had so many yeah, clients did, that you needed. I just did all that by hand. You know, okay. I would sit at night and I would do this, you know, an inquiry <laughs> would come in. I would, I would write an email. Um, but yeah, I just didn't, I, I didn't have the volume and right. most of my work for the longest time was really coming through direct referral. Yeah. And um, I still get my best clients <laughs> through direct referral. I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one that experiences that thing. But yeah, I mean, really, and especially writing a book now that I, I have all of these touch points for people to find me and want to talk to me, I need I needed to to level up myself. Yeah. So thinking now where you're at now, you've been doing this for a number of years. If you could go back in time and do something differently, what is that that you would do differently? I think that um, I would have put more attention to um, building, finding, finding my business community. I Early on, I tried some business networking things when I first left corporate. And as I said, I was fairly new in a community, didn't know a lot of people. And um, it was, it, what I found was a very um, bro networking environment that I would call like the um, splash and dash speed dating networking thing, you know, where it's like, Hey, I'm John and here's my card and give me a call and boom, gone. Like no conversation about who are you? What do you do? You know, in anything like that. Um, I, 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 there were other resources that I wasn't connecting with that I, I should have been asking more questions and trying 
to connect. And I think I was just in my own turmoil between this. How do I be a mom? Like, what does it mean to be a stay at home mom? What are my goals? I mean, I totally took a corporate lens to that role, right? (laughs) Trying to define all those things. So um, that was such a big learning curve to me in some ways that I just, I actually gave more attention to that than I did to the business side. Of course, I really thought it was just going to be a year or so and I'd be applying to jobs and then I got <laughs> pregnant with child number two and that all fell apart. So, um, yeah, so I, there's that, I think I, you know, I said earlier, like, I wish I would have been building a different kind of network. I wish I would have leaned into uh-huh. it. And I think the other thing that I learned, I wish I would have done sooner, not when I very first started, but, um, a little bit earlier than I did really starting to spend money to make money. I think that I spent a lot of time um, thinking, oh, I don't generate a lot of income out of this business, so I can't spend Mm -hmm. money on marketing, on this, on that. And um, all that did was waste my time and make things a little bit harder than they needed to be. Yeah, yeah. That's great advice. Um, by the way, the the comment you made about uh, you know second child and and uh, all the plans it reminded me of the I think it's the Mike Tyson quote right like everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Um, that that's exactly that that's like what I think founders and entrepreneurs live by is that we all have plans and then you get punched in the face and then you got to figure out what's next. So yes, there yes. you go. So um, last question for you. Well, two questions for you. First, what would you tell somebody um, that's thinking about taking that leap and and doing a side hustle or, or starting a small business like you, like what advice would you give them? I think um, from a side hustle point of view, do not compromise your well-being. If, if all you do is work, you cannot be the founder that you need to be of your business. Mm-hmm. You will burn yourself out. The way I talk to entrepreneurs about this is there's the sprint and the marathon. You can only run the sprint for so long and you wear yourself out. So you really need to make sure that you've done the training, that you've built your body, right, your, to, to manage that. I think the other thing that I would say is you got to do the economic modeling before, before you pull the, pull the trigger. I, I do a lot of work with small businesses and the number one reason small businesses fail is they don't have enough running capital. Mm-hmm. People, they think they're going to like have all of this money really fast because you're really good at what you do and you're really passionate, but there's a lot of startup costs. There's a, it takes a lot often to get to that money making. And yeah. if you don't know how you're going to replace, if you really, if you're not in the shoes I was in and you really need to replace the income that you left you got to have a plan for that and you got to know where you're going to go borrow the money when that doesn't come from just delivering. And if you're not prepared to borrow the money, then you are starting at a deficit. So you need to make sure that you've really gamed this out and you, and you got that, the economics of it figured out. Okay. That, that, that is great advice. And now I got one last question for you. Now, this is the, like the secret tip for our listeners um, what is like the one thing that somebody that's listening to this, that is running your small business or side hustle that has employees could do to help improve their, their culture, their happiness of their employees, like their people, like, is there one thing that you always think about? Like, man, if, 
everybody would do this. It would just move the needle just a little bit better. Go ask, get curious. Curiosity cures everything. Mm -hmm. if, if the numbers aren't there, go get curious about why. Stop trying to force people down a path of compliance and get curious and discover together and pursue what emerges. So curiosity is, is the key. I love that. I love that. And that's, that's the name of game of us uh, as entrepreneurs, right? Because we're curious and we figure out uh, the things and we just got to stay curious about our own organizations too. So I love that. Rita, where can our listeners find and connect with you? My website, igniteextraordinary.com is access to everything. You'll find all my social links there. There's forms that you can fill out if you have inquiry about working with me as a consultant, or if you are interested in me as a speaker or a trainer for um, some development work with your leaders, that's the best place to go. Love it. Love it. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Side Hustle to Small Business podcast powered by Hiscox. To learn more about how Hiscox can help protect your small business through intelligent insurance solutions, visit hiscox.com. That's H-I-S-C-O-X.com. And if you have a story you want to hear on this podcast, please visit hiscox.com slash share your story. I'm your host, Sanjay Park. You can find me on Twitter at, at Sanjay, that's S-A-N-J-A-Y, or on my website at sanjayparek.com. <laughs>